0: If you do not have a Bible, Bud will be passing out Bibles. Um, but we are going to be going through Obadiah this evening. And I wanted to ask a question of what does everyone know about Obadiah? Not a whole lot, right? It's kind of a mysterious book. We don't know who Obadiah was. There was many Obadiahs in the Old Testament. We don't know exactly when Obadiah took place. There's some thoughts, but, but nothing really pinpoints at the time. The book of Obadiah as a whole is a little bit of a mystery, right? And since Obadiah is a, a book of mystery, when I was at the Bible college, of course, as a Bible college student, I had to get a tattoo with two verses of Obadiah on my arm because that's how much of a scholar I am, right? Because I know the mysterious books. I know the books that nobody really even knows is in the Bible, right? Right? But I got a tattoo on my arm, and, and because that shows how smart I am, right? Which is ironic, because the verses on my arm are talking about pride. <laughs> right? It's so funny. I know. Oh, Lord. And how God brings pride down. But in all honesty, this, this book really does resonate with me. Um, my life before Christ was a lot like the Edomites as we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, thinking I was untouchable. Thinking, you know, who can, who can bring me down? Kind of like a lot of us in our youth, thinking we were invincible, right? Who can touch us? I can go and uh, stop a car with my shoulder or something like that. I don't know, something that a kid would probably think of. But I was untouchable, and who could bring me down? And you know what? God brought me down. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so happy that he did because now I'm here with you guys today with with family uh, in Wichita, Kansas. But also, I like the mystery of Obadiah. I think it is cool that we can dive in, you know, that the Bible is surface level for children in children's church. I'm the overseer of that, guilty... uh, you know, little thing about VBS, so. But it's, a, it's as shallow as children's church, but yet we can go as deep as the minor prophets, as Obadiah, as many others, as Revelation, and, and still not know the depths of God's grace for us. So let's dive into the mystery together. We're going to start in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. So right off the bat, what do we know about Edom? What do we know about Edom? Okay, we go to it's verse 1. We don't really know yet. What do we know about Esau in the Bible, right? You might understand that one a little bit better. Esau was the brother... Of Jacob, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Esau being the guy that was so hairy that Jacob, when he went to go take the birthright from his father Isaac, to you know take it from Isaac, that he put goat hair on his arms to trick his father because his father couldn't see in his old age, right? So we know that Esau was uh, a very hairy man. But we also know that Esau and Jacob didn't really get along all that well. And the same goes for their descendants. And why do I say that? The Edomites inhabited a mountainous terrain which was a natural fortress, right, inside the cliffs. With cliffs all around them, um, they were naturally fortified. And their natural defenses made them self-reliant, made them prideful of who can bring us down, made them resent their neighbors, the Israelites. We see time and time again through the Old Testament, Edom mistreats Israel. Just to name one in Numbers 20. We won't have to go there today. I'm not going to give you paper cuts. We're not going to need band-aids or anything like that. But in Numbers 20 they ask to cross the country of Edom. Uh, Moses does after they leave Egypt and they're they're in the 40 years of wandering. They try to cross and the king of Edom says no. And not only does he say no, he also brings an army to the the, the border of Edom and says, if you come any closer, we're going to to pursue, pursue you with the sword, right? So not really friendly. And from that point on, Edom is noted as Israel's enemy. In 1 Samuel 14 and in 2 Samuel 8, Edom was the enemy of both Saul and David, both two very well-known kings of Israel. In 1 Samuel 14, Saul warred with the Edomites. And then again in 2 Samuel Eight, David conquered them and enslaved them but they were still enemies of Israel and we know from just a few of these examples how Israel viewed Edom but Obadiah is not about how Israel viewed Edom it, Obadiah is about how God views Edom and so we're going to see in the next two verses what God's view of Edom is so verse 2 Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell on the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Again, talking about pride, right? Thinking in their heart, who can touch us? Who can bring us down? Our, 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 our city, our fortress is naturally fortified. I will bring you down, says the Lord. And you are greatly despised. It sounds familiar. It sounds like pride, of course, but it sounds familiar to something else as well. It sounds like God's view of Satan, right? You who say in your heart, who will bring me to the ground? Guys, it's a challenge that their pride made And them thinking that they were untouchable. But let's see what God continues to say in verse 4. Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars from there, I will bring you down. It's kind of funny because I have verses 3 and 4 tattooed on my arm. um, Just to give you a little reference of of the pride in bringing down. Again, Bible college mystery, right? But... um, I will bring you down, says the Lord. Again, more similarities to Satan. It reminds me of the I am statements in Isaiah. So we are going to turn to Isaiah 14 and start in verse 12. So Isaiah 14 and verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And verse 15 is my favorite. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. This is pride, right? This is this is, is what happens with pride. This is the dangers of pride. Thinking that you are untouchable. Thinking that I will be better than, than everyone. And, and what happens with Satan and Isaiah and, and Edom and Obadiah is God says, I will bring you down. Right? Pride comes before the fall, but... Isn't that exactly in line with God's character, guys? Like, he he loves humility but hates pride, right? We see it over and over again in the Old Testament, um, God telling people to to be humble, to, to not be prideful. We see Jesus live it in the Gospels, and we see Paul and the others preach it in the New Testament. It's exactly in God's character. So we know that God is going to bring Edom down. But starting in verse 5, he's going to explain how he's going to do that. And so verse 5 says, If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off! Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you, and no one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom, and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Temen, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. So there's a whole lot there. Let's, let's kind of go over it one verse at a time. Verse 5 is saying if thieves had come, wouldn't they only take the valuables, right? They'd leave you some things. They might take the expensive TV. They might take your jewelry, but you're going to have a car. You're going to have a car insurance, right? You're going to have, um, you're going to have the house that you're still staying in, Right? And the grape gatherers always leave something left for people passing by. It was Jewish tradition. We see Jesus and his disciples pick from that. We see Ruth glean from that to feed her and Naomi. But he's saying it's going to be much worse. Even the hidden treasures will be taken in verse 6. They will look for the money under the mattress. They'll look for the valuables in the uh, floorboards. They'll look For that Folgers can in your pantry that no one, you know, that you think no one will ever find, right? The hidden treasures will be taken. They will search and find everything that the Edomites have. Nothing will be spared. They will have nothing left. Verse 7, the people they were allied with, primarily Babylon, will turn on them and drive them out. So not only will they have nothing left, not only will they have no money, no valuables, nothing like that, they also will be driven from their homes, They'll be homeless. They'll be destitute. Verse 8 says their leaders will be cut down and confusion will ensue. Basically, confusion from head to toe. They're, they're not going to know where to go. In verse 9, the warriors that they count on for protection, right, with the, the pride of, hey, we're untouchable with this fortress, with this area. Oh, hey, we don't have that fortress anymore. We're ran from our homes. Oh, well, the, the soldiers that we have for protection. Well, verse 9 says that they will be slaughtered. Guys, God is showing Edom his judgment on their pride. In a court, this would be the sentencing that's coming. And, and reading through these verses, there's something here that should catch our attention. Knowing Patrick and, and what he's been talking about on Wednesdays, there's something that I think he'd point out. And that would be in verse 8. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? It says, will I not in that day? So what does that tell us? Is this long-term judgment? Maybe. I think he's, it's hinting at it. But let's not jump there quite yet. Let's continue on and see what happens. And so verse 10 says, For violence against your brother Jacob, shall shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, Babylon to to Israel, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother, in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah, in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. So there's a lot going on here. These four verses are the charges that God brings against Edom, the reason for the wrath that's about to come, the reason that Obadiah is is preparing for, right? And God is a just God, and he's saying here, hey, I'm warning you, don't do these things. But again, like many other times in Edom's history, they are given a choice and they throw it in the dirt. I say, nah, I know it's better. Right? It kind of reminds us of like, what's that word? Pride? Like, yeah, I know better. I know that you want me not to do this, but I know better. And God even provides a list of eight do-nots for Edom to, de- to decide to do. And they decide to ignore it. And I say decided very intentionally here because each of these do-nots, our actions and choices and they ignore every single one but let's go over the do nots again number 1 do not do not gaze on the day of your brother they watched intently as israel was being attacked number 2 do not rejoice over the children of judah in their destruction not only did they watch they also celebrated the defeat of israel number 3 do not speak proudly in the day of their distress they scoffed at their cousins from their high place, saying, if you only had a, 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 a place like Edom, you would never have been taken. Right? What is That's pride. Number four, do not enter the gate of my people. What's worse is they didn't just stay far off. They didn't stay neighbors. They also assisted in the sacking of Israel. Number five, do not gaze on their affliction. Again, they watched with joy as Israel fell, but this time not far away this time up close and personal. Do not lay hands, number six, do not lay hands on their substance, and they plundered after the Israelites were captured, taking what they wanted. Number seven, do not attack those who escape. They killed any Israelites that escaped the siege. And the eighth, do not, do not deliver those who remain into slavery and they enslaved any that they didn't kill and sold them back to Babylon. For every single one, Edom didn't listen to God's warning. For every single one. And from some of the the verbiage here, I think, and a lot of people think that that Obadiah, you know, we talked earlier about the time, and we can't really pinpoint it. I think it's pre-Babylon, pre-babylonian siege and captivity um, but really is the time critical for today tonight's study of when it happened not really because I think that there is some wisdom to to glean from this but ultimately Edom didn't listen right we, it doesn't matter about the timing of this we ultimately know that Edom didn't listen didn't care. And they did exactly the things that they weren't supposed to do. They didn't listen to God before Obadiah. They didn't listen to God after Obadiah. The whole history of Edom is not listening to God, but but instead doing their own thing. Edom didn't listen. And everything that we read in verses 5 to 9 happens. They are plundered. They are driven from their homes. Their people are killed. Their warriors are taken. And their leaders are, are destroyed. Babylon was God's tool for Israel, but he was also God's tool for Edom, right? In verse 15, it says For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. And in verse 15, guys, here, the, the narrative shifts, right? We see it again, the day of the Lord. But this time, it's more clear. This time, it's not a, a hint at it, but it is Obadiah saying it. So what does that tell us? Well, first, it's, it's in the future, right? It's, it's in the future, but it's a long-term fulfillment. We know that because Obadiah says... All the nations sounds like the tribulation, right? But but just as a reminder, most of the things we read in prophetic scripture is both short-term and long-term fulfillment. They can say the same thing but have two different fulfillments with it. Short-term was what we just talked about: Babylon sacking Edom and utterly destroying it, and, and that happened in the sixth or seventh. B.C., but long-term. Long-term is the day of the Lord. And let's remind ourselves what the day of the Lord is. Right, It begins with tribulation and ends at the start of the millennial kingdom. If we remember back in verse 8, it says, Will I not in that day, says the Lord? In verse 8, It's hinting at a long-term fulfillment, but in verse 15, we see that it's confirmed because Obadiah says it. So when is it? It happens during the tribulation or after? But if we look at the context of, of the word that we're looking at tonight, we can see that it gives hints that it's during the tribulation, right? Because of the wrath of all the nations is coming when Jesus comes back. when all the nations will be judged, those who don't believe in Jesus. But let's continue in Obadiah in verse 16. And it says, For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. And so Obadiah here has changed from just Edom Right? The pride of Edom, the pride of the nation, to now the pride of all nations. <coughs> Thinking that they can defeat Jesus, right? With the Antichrist and, and all that that we have been talking about on Wednesdays. But verse 16 is speaking of vengeance. What you have done to Israel, it will be given back to you continually. The nations will reap what you have sowed. You know, in, in verse 16 with the, the cup of wrath also reminds me of, of Revelation fourteen ten, talking about the mark of the beast and the cup of wrath that comes with that. Um, Revelation sixteen nineteen about the cup of wrath on Babylon. This cup of wrath is, is for Edom, but it's still kind of in the same vein. It's saying, hey, for the pride of your heart that you went and attacked Israel, what you have done will be brought back to you, and you must drink it. But back to Obadiah, it's not the exact same thing. It's the same vein for those who reap it. But the wrath is coming for everyone? Question mark? Is everyone going to have to drink it? Well, No. But it's coming for almost everyone. Let's turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. In verse 12 to 13, it says His eyes were like flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. It's coming for almost everyone. Revelation 19 talks about Jesus coming with a a robe dripped in blood, right? So there's going to be wrath. But we just said that not everyone is his enemy. So who's left? Who, who who, Who doesn't take the wrath of God? Who escapes the wrath? Who is saved? Who is is, is, you know, who gets blessings during this time? Who does God redeem? It's the remnant of Israel. It's the remnant of Israel. It's the believing Israel, the ones who say, hey, Jesus, you're the Messiah. It's the ones who finally see Jesus as who he was. And as we turn back to Obadiah, we're going to continue in verse 17, seeing what, what believing Israel sees. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, talking about Jesus, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Verse 17 is talking about Israel being blessed by God, right? The deliverance, the holiness that that Jesus is coming back. The one that they've been waiting for. The true Messiah. And as verse 17 talks about Jesus and Israel, what happens to Edom? We've talked about what happens in the past. Their pride is their downfall, and Babylon levels them in the 6th or 7th BC. But what happens in the future? What happens to Edom when, when Jesus returns? And I think that that's in verse eight, 18. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau, Edom, shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So Edom is turned to stubble. Edom, because of their pride, is, is no more. There is no survivor. You don't have to go there, but Isaiah 34, 8 through 15 gives us a little bit more detail into this. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Its stream shall be turned into pitch, talking about Edom, and its dust into brimstone. Its land shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to degeneration it will lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. But the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it, and the owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch out over the line of confusion and stones of emptiness. They shall call its nobles to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all its princes shall be nothing. And the thorns shall come up in its place, or palaces, needles, and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard for ostriches. The wild beast of the desert shall also meet with the jackals. And the wild goat shall bleat to its companion. And the night creatures shall find rest there. And rest for herself. Or find herself a place of rest. You might be asking, okay, Dakota, what does Edom have to do with porcupines and ostriches? Okay, cool. But at the beginning... Of Isaiah, in, in the first few verses, we see that Edom becomes a place that is uninhabited, a place that is pitch, a place that is fire with brimstone, a place that is unable to have people in it, except for animals, like a jackal and a porcupine. I don't like porcupines. They are, you know, not fun. But that's the only place that, that will, will, will live there. That's the only animals. And so Isaiah is saying that it's even worse than what Obadiah 18 is talking about. Edom isn't just destroyed, right? It's not just leveled. It becomes uninhabitable. It's filled with smoke and fire. It becomes a place that no one will ever go to again, forever and ever. Back in Obadiah, let's continue in verses 19 to 20. It says, The south shall possess the mountains of Esau and the lowland shall possess uh, Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath, the captives of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And you're saying, yeah, Dakota, a lot of people take a lot of land. That's awesome, cool. What does it mean? As Obadiah is concluding, Patrick talked last week about the Millennial Kingdom and and how Israel is going to be blessed in the Millennial Kingdom and how it's going to be growing and and being used in the Millennial Kingdom. It's kind of what it's talking about here. But as Isaiah said, whereas Israel is becoming this this blossoming nation with, with taking over land and growth and And being blessed, Edom stays uninhabitable, stays that that pit of fire through the whole millennial kingdom. It stays as as a pit of fire to show everyone the dangers of pride. Again, not just destroying it, but making an example out of it. It becomes a furnace. We talked at the beginning of this that God's view of Edom and the pride of Edom is similar to his view of Satan and the pride of Satan. I think it's very fitting that Edom's end is very similar to Satan's end. Right? We know that Edom becomes this pit of fire and brimstone and internal pitch and, and nothing can live in it. But in Revelation 20, you don't have to turn there. Verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right? It's, it's, it's God showing the end of pride, the end of what happens with pride and, and, and ultimately his view of it and what he thinks of it and what he's going to do with pride becomes fire and brimstone and pitch, uninhabitable. But why does Edom get such a harsh judgment, right? Why does it become uninhabitable for all time? Well, because of everything that God said back in verses 10 to 14 right he's saying uh violence against his brother you you not only scoffed far away you also scoffed up close because you're like ha I'm gonna get close to you and take your stuff and kill you when you try to leave and this and that right he's he's bringing the charges against them so that's why he's getting they're getting such a harsh judgment but why so harsh like yeah hey we, we get it people are prideful Edom is prideful why so harsh well, let's take it a step further. Where was the remnant, right? going into the the tribulation? Where was the remnant during the tribulation? Where did the remnant go and hide? Where did they find safety? I know Patrick's talked about it. The remnant found safety in Petra, right? Petra, which is Basra, which is Edom, right? And so they found safety in Edom. And you might be thinking, Okay, well, Dakota. So what? Like, God repays Edom for protecting his people by like eternal fire and brimstone and pitch? No. You know, they're they're saying, "Hey, we're not your enemies. We protected the remnant. We were enemies in the Old Testament." But here we are sheltering Israel. Here we are turning from our pride, right? Right, God? Like, why, why this huge amount of, of judgment? Let's finish in verse 21. And it says, Then Savior shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. So we see it there. They're going to judge Edom. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And you're like, cool. You still haven't answered my question. My, My question, Dakota, why is Edom getting this judgment? They sheltered the remnant and they still get judged. They're no longer enemies with Israel. They still get judged. Why are they getting judged? They're not enemies with Israel. Technically, they are. Right? Because this is the tribulation. And we see... Works. We see good works. This is an argument from good works. Hey, I went and did good things, God. I went and protected your people, God. So don't judge me. I could see Edom saying, Time out, we saved your people. So how about we don't get that judgment? And God's just saying, You didn't you didn't save the remnant. Jesus did. Right? It's not because of your good works. And the question that we need to ask is not, why is Edom getting such a a judgment? The question we need to be asking is, what has Edom done with Jesus? Right? Because that's in the tribulation. Why they're enemies of Israel, of the remnant of Israel? Because they haven't chosen Jesus. Jesus is the only way to be saved, not by good works, but faith in the one who can save, which is in Jesus let's take that even a step further, guys. In all of Edom's history, how much view did God give Edom of himself, right? Edom, descendants of Esau, are cousins to the Israelites. They are in the bloodline. They are neighbors. They could see it because they're on these high cliffs. They could see Israel. They are the remnants hideout, so those who are believing are around the Edomites, there's no excuse for why they don't know Jesus, except for they didn't choose to. Again, choosing not to do what the Lord said or or, or to call upon the Lord. They do their own thing in their own pride, and we see what happens. They've been given chance after chance, and every time they throw it away, like the warnings that they had. Edom doesn't get judged just because it's Edom. Edom. Edom gets judged because they're with the rest of the world being judged. Hanging out with Jesus' people is different from being a follower of Jesus, right? They could have said, hey, well, we're around the people, the remnant of Israel. We're good. Jesus comes to save those who believe in him, right? Not those that 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 hear about him. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only one who save who saves. Got good works alone can't save us. Being related to believers can't save us. We see that with Edom. Being grandfathered in can't save us. It has to be between you and God. So what do we do with that? Right? Nothing but the saving faith in Jesus is enough. We can't look the part and get in. We can't get up to heaven's gates and, like, I don't know, I think of, like, Tom and Jerry, like, heaven's gates, right? And, like, you're, you're looking the part, and you get into the middle of the crowd hoping to, like, get through the gate. That doesn't, that doesn't happen, Right? We can't look the part and not believe. We can't be around believers and hope we get in. Here's a good example of this, of of looking the part. When I was 9 or 10 um, in Southern California, I went to a, a skateboard park, an indoor skateboard park called Vans. And I wanted to be a skateboarder. And so you know what I did is I went and bought a very expensive skateboard deck because that's half of being a skateboarder, right, is getting a good deck. And then I went and I got elbow pads, and I got knee pads, and I got that cool helmet with the spiky things on it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I looked cool, man. And I would go to this indoor skate park. And inside, you know, I'd have to pay $30, which, at nine years old, that was a lot of lawns and a lot of trashes but I would go and spend two hours for $30 at this skate park and you'd see people with these awesome decks and these knee pads and elbow pads and helmets and like yeah I'm part of the group and they'd be doing tricks and ollies and things like that and you would find me right in the middle of the whole place kind of like skating up to a small ramp and then like it comes flat and then it goes down again and I'd get up onto the top and finally get on and then go down the little ramp and be like, yeah, that's what's up, I'm a skateboarder. Oh, right? But I wasn't a skateboarder because that happened for months. And I never learned any tricks. <laughs> I never learned how to do anything. I would go spend two hours getting in people's way as they're trying to do tricks. To get onto this little ramp and go back down and i would just go back and forth for two hours right doing nothing but if you looked from the rafters or from the the balcony of the place you would think oh yeah he's a skateboarder right but but my pride in that was like i'm a skateboarder and nobody can tell difference don't look at me when i'm doing this look at me when i'm holding the skateboard when I walk in. That was when I was puffing my chest, man. I was like, yeah, here's the $30. All right. And then like no one, no one looking at me, right? That is what we're talking about of, of people who are friends with Jesus' people, but not believers of Jesus themselves. That's what we're talking about with Edom, right here. Yeah, God, we saved your people. Save us, too. We get to go in. And then, like, I don't know. I think of, like, Tom from Tom and Jerry again with, like, a halo, like, stopping them with their hand, and they all kind of. Just because we look the part doesn't mean that we are it. Just because we look and go to church, just because we, we look like we, wow, Lord. I just got this. Just because we have a tattoo on our arm about a a, a mysterious book doesn't mean we know anything about it until we do a study about it, right? Looking the part is great, but what have you done with Jesus? Nothing else is enough, not good works. Only Jesus' blood can cover our sins, not our own good works or deeds, we can't be grandfathered in. We saw Edom. We, we we know Edom's history. We know that it doesn't work out well for them, right? Verse 18 says, And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau. The very end. But here's the cool thing. As I just read verse 18. Now for me, it's two, two pages to the left, but... Go to go to Amos chapter 9, verse 12. It's two pages for me. Verse 12 says, That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. And this is talking about Israel being restored and the millennial kingdom. So he's like, Hang on, go to verse 18, just said, No Edomites will survive. How does that happen? There's a remnant of Edom that believes in Jesus and is restored. Guys, in the same way that, that not just for me, but many people thought that they were untouchable and brought down by God. We are here today preaching nothing but Christ crucified. They are not Edomites. I'm not a Californian. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm not a Kansan. I'm a child of God. Right, I'm not an Edomite anymore. I'm a child of God. And so it's not wrong. I love it. I think it's so cool. Jesus restores. We know that. We've seen it in our own lives. And even though Edom as a whole will be desolate and uninhabitable because of the wrath of God, For those who call on the name of the Lord, he has already taken that wrath. Guys, how cool is that? He's already taken that for us. The cross was where he said to Talistai, right? It is finished. It is done. And I think it's so cool that some Edomites will see the millennial kingdom and see heaven just as us, just as we will see heaven not because of our works not because of what the Edomites did or at least the ones who who call upon the name of the Lord it's because of what Jesus did it's because of, of who he is and not ourselves and can we cry that out loud that it is not me but Christ who lives in me Father thank you so much Lord for Your grace. Oh, Lord, your grace is so deep, so wide. Lord, thank you. Because we are so undeserving of it, Lord, as I just think about the times that I mess up and the times that I fall short, Father, and that we fall short. Lord, you are there to encourage us. You are there to to build us up, Lord. Lord, thank you for, for teaching us humility, teaching it. And then ultimately going to the cross in humility for us, Father, Lord, we are so undeserving. Father, help us to not fake it. We pray for those in our lives who who come to mind when we think of that. Lord, that 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 being around your people is not the same as being around you, being one with you. Father, thank you that you have decided to go from heaven and have a relationship with us we are so undeserving and Lord thank you for the relationship you do have with us as I just think about yeah the the shortcomings that, that we all have that we fail at because we are imperfect and yet you want us to to do things and to have that relationship with you. Lord, it is never enough. And Lord, we will praise you for the rest of our lives. We thank you and start now in your name we pray. Amen.